Welcome back, Seahawks fans, to another episode of the Seahawks Nest Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Sano, joined, as always, by the Chargers draft to my Seahawks draft. It's Kevin Garber. Kevin, how are you doing? Uh, I'm full of players that I wanted. Yeah? And our very own Giants draft. That's right. It's Eric Ronnebeck. Eric, why did you pick Daniel Jones, number six overall? David not, Gettleman, please help me. Not only am I going to double down on every terrible pick I made, but I'm going to say something awesome like, tell me how stupid I look in three years. Yeah, or how about this? You got it, Gettleman. Gettleman, how about, if you have a job in three years, I'll be shocked. Yeah, no kidding. And another another thing that really bugged me about that whole thing, too, was that Gettleman, Gettleman he... he uh, he justified it by saying like two teams would have picked him before fifteen, and then the Broncos were like, "Well, not us." Yeah, I love I love how he goes. Two teams would have picked before fifteen, and every team between those two picks were like put their finger on the nose immediately, like not it. They're like, not it wasn't me. Yeah, Elway was like, "Yeah, they offered us to trade down to ten, but we said no, and we weren't going to take Joseph." Uh, all right, so let's get into it. This, this big week for Seahawks, they took they turned four picks into two eleven picks, uh, and. And really made, uh, you know, made some magic happen. So, well, four picks and a Frank Clark. Yeah, four picks and a Frank Clark. Too exactly. Soon. All right. So the first, the o- there's only one of our original picks we kept. We'll talk about that in a minute. All right. The first round, Seahawks at 29, select a defensive end from TCU, L.J. Collier. Um, and if you watch, L.J. So, Stanley for Lawrence Jr. So we watched the, a lot of tape this week. Eric, go ahead and tell us what's your what's your L.J. Collier first impression. Okay, so I wasn't like we kind of talked about. We trust the Hawks more than we trust ourselves. We may have guys that we're really in love with, but uh, ultimately we're happy with, for the most part, what the Hawks did. LJ Collier, a little little, uh, on the shorter end, very long arms, like Sam Perkin arms. Uh, Great against the run. He'll get sacks, but not a whole lot. Um, He has uh, quite the motor, and his long arms will draw and drive. His motor will keep uh, his side locked down, and that's pretty pretty much what you see in a Seahawks player. Yeah. He's not like bursty and bendy, like like um like a Montez Sweat or thing, but he has or Cliff Averill. but he has like raw power. Yeah, he's gonna um, drive people back, which is which is something that I think is really interesting. I kind of underscouted LJ because I assumed he would go towards the middle end of the second round where we wouldn't have any picks. Now we did end up and we did end up having an end of second round pick, but and a mid second round pick. No, that was an early. No, that was a mid second pick fifteen. So we ended up picking in that range anyway, but we ended up grabbing him in the first round. I think. After oh, scouting him a little more, it's a great it's a great pick. I mean, yes, his pass set's going to need work, and he's underdeveloped as a pass rusher. He has one really good move, which I always like guys who can at least do a thing. And so, yeah, I'm I'm excited to see how they develop him in the future. And I think he's pretty solid for like three to six sacks this year and some good run defense, which is great because we need someone who can definitely play. And I'm not worried about LJ at least being a contributor on rundowns and doing something in pass downs. Kevin, what would what, you see? Uh, yeah, he, I think you guys covered it pretty well. He's going to come in. He's a 4-3 base end who can set and hold the edge. This guy is like is really hard to move, and that's valuable in our system. He's the kind of guy who at times could demand a double team, especially when you're trying to get him off of his spot in the run game, which frees up our linebackers to kind of fly to the ball. So the comparison that's popular right now is Mike Bennett. And I think that that is an apt comparison based on his body type and skill set. He played D-tackle. He played D-end at TCU. Um, he had a limited pass rush set mostly because the scheme at TCU required you to play the system 
So they didn't really teach you a lot of pass rushing. It was more like teaching you how to read the offense, which makes a ton of sense considering the amount of zone read and everything that you play against in the Big 12. So what shines is his field awareness. And I watched about four games plus a highlight tape. And every single game, there was at least one play where he just drove the offensive lineman back until he fell on his butt. Or ran into the quarterback. That's good. There was at least one play where he just took his guy in front of him. And you know like the scene in a action movie when you grab the guy and you throw him on the bar. And then you just like drag his body down the bar. Superman 2 style. It was like that only with a left tackle. And he would just wash out the offensive line by, like, functionally drive-blocking his tackle through their blocks. And it just really screws up the play. Uh, he can get narrow to get through a gap. He just has he has a lot of skills that I really like. I agree with your take on that, Nate. I think somewhere in the three to five sacks seems pretty reasonable. Remember, Mike Bennett rarely got more than eight for us. I think he had one double-digit sack season. Uh, that's more the player you're looking at than a Frank Clark type. Right. And then, um, so the Seahawks selected, uh, selected LJ. Then the next round, uh, the second round, they had a mid-second round pick that came back with a safety from Utah, Marquise Blair, who I mocked, I think, in uh, my my trade-down mock. Really quickly, before anything else, I, I owe the podcast an apology. Um, I wasn't going to mention it. I was going to let you slide. No, already- <laughs> I'm going to call myself out on this. I have to be honest. Uh, Nathan mentioned Marquise Blair, and I talked some hate. And the problem when you scout position groups all together is that they run together in your head sometimes. Uh, I had him mixed up with uh, Mike Bell from Fresno State, who is not a good fit for anything that we do. And... As a result, I was way more down on the player and consequently the pick than I should have been. Um, so I apologize. Well, uh, Ke- uh, Eric, what's your what's your first take on Marquis Blair? Um, so uh, I'm really interested to hear what you guys say because it sounds like you're you're a little higher on him than I am, and I'm not against him. But um, my notes are are uh, shorter than Cam, but he hits like Cam. Covers not as good as Earl. Uh, that's that's my favorite scouting report I'll ever write. Uh, might be an above average to solid safety throughout his career. This guy can cover ground. He hits hard. He's had a lot of targeting penalties. I feel like that's not cool, but I think it's kind of cool. Were you crying and eating little He's, Debbie snack cakes dude, when you wrote that first sentence? So here's, <laughs> if you're if you want to know why the Seahawks picked Marquise Blair, it's that he is a he is a fierce competitor and he is like he will he will hound the other he is aggressive he's you hear how business aggressive. he is in his interviews um he's yeah. like one word answer yes, yes sir yes yes sir he's like robocop so he he <laughs> he has really good burst he has, he can he has um he's a little long so he can match up good in like the tight end coverage uh situation if we're going with like a big nickel or something like that i think marquise is a really good guy to play kind of forward and uh, and cover cover tight ends, cover slot wide receivers. Um, get physical with those guys coming over the middle. Play the enforcer. Also, he diagnoses run plays pretty well. 
Um, the one thing is when he goes after run plays that he's going to need to stop doing is diving for ankles, which is something that a lot of college defensive backs suffer from after watching a lot of them. Oh my goodness. He needs to stop teaching them that in college. Yeah. So he died. He's kind of an ankle diver when he goes for a running back, but the the Seahawks will coach him out of that. Or screen plays. Um, and so, yeah, I, and I would say that he, his ball skills, I, I'm not, I'm not super high on him. I don't see him as like a long-term a great ball skills guy, um, but he will break up passes with his physicality, but he's not going to be, I would be surprised if Marquise Blair had like a five interception season in his career. That's not what he's, I don't think that's what he's here for though. He's there to patrol the middle of the field, make people miserable, uh, diagnose run plays, uh, really just be a very good, uh, you know, middle of the field safety for the Seahawks. Kevin, what are you, what are you thinking? Yeah, I agree. I wish he was a little bit longer. It's about 30 inch arms, but his athleticism is really good. His change of direction skills were better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. They're pretty average though. And like in terms of like, they're better than bad, but, but for how big of a thumper he is, he can flip his hips decent. So I don't worry about him covering maybe some of the bigger, slower slot type receivers hmm. or tight ends. Like you were saying, like I, I see how his skill set plays, and uh, yo, Lord, Lord, be help to the uh, person in the flats who catches the ball as he comes downhill <laughs> because he will light you up. Yeah, there's like a good Twitter yeah. thread um, uh, on. I think it was um, Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus put up about Marquise Blair, and it was him just, like, beating up Weber State players. And it's, like, super – it's super fun because, like, he just he, he just comes downhill and destroys everyone in these, in these like, seven gifts that Sam posted. There are some, uh, some scouting reports currently out there that say that he may run into uh, tackling issues with bigger NFL players. How do you guys respond to that? Uh, either he'll be able to handle it or he'll break down. Okay. I mean, that's kind of a wait-and-see thing to me. Uh, he wasn't super injured in the rest of his career. He played at a high level of junior college. He was a JC All-American. He was All-State in Ohio uh, in high school. Like, he's played big time everywhere. And then he started eight games, um, had a leg injury in 2017, started 14 games. This dude's played a ton of football. I would think that he was going to get, like, Bob Sanders. He would already be getting hurt. But he is kind of narrow. He's not as like broad as Cam or anything. I think that's we can agree on that. He has like an interesting frame. Like it's like a little um, a little high hip, yeah, a little narrow. Yeah, he's a little high hip. That that makes it so that he's he's just never gonna be that guy. That he's not gonna be Earl. You know what I mean? That's just not what he is. But he has a role that he can play in a in a very good NFL defense, and I think he'll be excellent at it. You know, if he, if he continues to develop, um, maybe Keanu Neal's a decent comparison. You no, know, the next guy, shirtless wonder, Eric. <laughs> you already know. Mr. 5% body fat. Mr. 5% body fat. He put uh, Stephen A. Smith yesterday in his place. Ooh. D- DK Metcalf. What? Yeah, I got to Google he this. He said, DK, we've seen wide receivers like you. And DK was like, well, you've never seen someone who's six foot three, 230 pounds, who can run a 4-3-40. And then he goes, well, I guess we're right. We've never seen that. <laughs> well, I guess you're right. So, um, um, DK Matt Metcalf. Donkey Kong Metcalf. <laughs> Out of Ole Miss. Uh, he is tall. He is ripped. Uh, he is fast. He's fast. We talked about... He's an uh, athlete. An athlete. Over the last few seasons, we've talked about, man, it'd be nice if we could get that Mike Williams type that we had in Pete Carroll's first year, but someone who doesn't like Honey Nut Cheerios as much. Or uh, run a 40 time of the sundown. <laughs> who I can beat in, in a marathon. Uh, he might, I think like a high is he might be like a Des Bryant type, which uh, will make Nathan oogle and oogle. He has hands all day. Route running might be a question. 
But as Kevin said in our pre-draft specials, just send him down the sideline. Well, here's one thing. Okay, I'll say about his route running because this is a common I know what cri- you're going to say. It's a common criticism of DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf gets open. He runs good routes. He, they just didn't ask him to, didn't ask him to do his route yeah. tree. They're like, hey, you're going to run this route tree. It's going to have four routes in it, and you're mostly going to be a decoy, and they're going to double cover you, and we're going to throw to A.J. Brown on the other side. And cool. Great. Ole Miss decided that was the best way for them to win football games. But I don't think it's an indictment of DK Metcalf's skills because DK is open a lot, and he and he does a good job of, like, if you try to press him, if you try to get in his face, he will release off you. Like, you're not going to beat him like that. He does a good job getting that release and getting clean off the line. And those are those are real skills you can build on. I think, yeah, maybe the first year for DK is not like a huge year. You know, maybe we we he goes over for forty catches for six hundred and fifty yards and five touchdowns. But I, but the skills are there that by year two, year three, this guy is going to be a, could be a an excellent route runner. Um, there's nothing that says to me like, oh, this guy's too dumb or he doesn't have the the the, the hip fluidity or the 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 movement skills. I think he's fine in those regards. He's really fast. He's really strong. Anytime there was a chance he can contest the cast, he can jump super high. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing this guy can't do that you want a wide receiver to do. To do. Um, I'm not 100% sure why he fell to 64, but I'm happy that he did. I think at t- like when people are saying he might get picked in the top 10, I, I thought that was an extreme risk to take a guy who just hadn't produced in college in the top 10. But at, even at the end of the first round, I'd be totally, I would have been totally into DK Metcalf. And at the end of the second round, I'm ecstatic. Like that is, a, that is an excellent value proposition for me. And he has just, he bursts. He's so fast. He's so quick. Um, like starting and in the open field, good luck taking this guy down, man. He was a, he is a beast in the open field. Just like using his off arm to like throw guys down that are trying to tackle him and stuff. I'm a big fan. I, 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 I uh, came around too. a lot. Maybe people are scared of the neck injury too. I'm, I'm, I was trying to think of reasons he might have fallen, and I, I that's kind of what I came up with is that like there's a little bit of injury history here, and people just aren't sure um, with that. Plus the lack of production, like they're just there's enough enough there. Plus this was an extremely deep wide receiver class. I think there could be ten Pro Bowl or near Pro Bowl level wide receivers in this class, and so maybe teams are just like you know what. Did JJ Arcega Whiteside feels a little safer? We're gonna go with JJ, you know, or he fits our system better. That's fine. But we're a team that can really use a big outside guy like that because when we throw play action, DK is gonna be open, and that's I think a great use of his skills. Kevin, you're DK Metcalf. I was gonna say, Kevin, this was a it's a guy who was mocked to us in the when we had the 21st pick. He was mocked to go like maybe 17th or 18th. He fell to 32 in the second round, last pick before comps. Pick number 64. Comps? Comps are in third. Comps are in third. Yeah. Is the anyway, last forget that. Last pick in the second round. Uh, I, yeah, I'm with Nathan on this. I think there's the two things are the neck injury and the lack of productivity in college. And people are going to openly question that. If you haven't, plug in the Alabama tape. This is against a pretty good set of defensive backs. And you can watch him put on a clinic for deep catches. Let's go through the stats real quick because we we drafted a pile of physical tools. Six foot three, two hundred and twenty-eight pounds. So this guy's roughly the size of Eddie George. That's a large human. Thirty-four inch arms, which is what you got almost thirty-five inch, which is prototypical for a left tackle. Runs a four three three thirty. Uh twenty-seven reps at the bench press. I think that would be the most for any linebacker. 40.5 inch vertical. 40.5 inch vertical. <laughs> 134 inch broad. So I went ahead and pulled up a comparison. 
Uh, I'm going to do Julio Jones. So, who we all agree is a physical freak. Did you use Mock Draftable for this? Uh, I used uh, NFL Profile. Okay. Uh, though I know Mock Draftable too, but I wanted just to clean numbers. Okay. So, uh, go ahead and come in with your point afterwards. Okay. But uh, DK Metcalf, 4-3-3. Julio Jones, 4-3-9. DK Metcalf, 40.5-inch vertical. Julio Jones, 38.5-inch vertical. DK Metcalf, 134-inch broad. Julio Jones, 135-inch broad. As far as explosiveness numbers, they're the same. You were saying? There is nobody on Mock Draftable that is more than 66% comparable to DK Metcalf. And it's because his three-cone and 20-yard shuttle were pretty bad, and then everything else is like 99th percentile. Yep. You know, it's like uh, bench press, 99th, height, 87th, weight, 95th, wingspan, 97th, arm length, 98th, 40-yard, 95th. Like, he's just... In the 90th plus percentile and everything, except for he had a bad three-cone and a bad 20-yard shuttle. And the three-cone and shuttle, I do think you see a little bit on tape. He's not crisp or quick in and out of his cuts if he has to do, like, a sharp cut. So if you're doing, like, a tight in or a tight out on the very, very small number of plays where he's asked to do that, you don't see him really do it very well. And I think that might be a bit of a limitation of his body style, but we're not asking him to be a Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett slot receiver. No. That's not the same skill set. Like, this is a deep ball guy. And another thing, too, is on those routes, he's going to be able to use his body to shield and make the catch anyway. So I'm not really super worried about the fact that, oh, he might be a little slower in those breaks than than some other quicker guys. Yeah, and like you talk about, like he has a 40 and a half inch vertical. You almost never saw it. Because for some reason, his quarterback couldn't put the ball up. I've never seen a guy who's that big and catches a jump ball and, like, it would be that good on jump balls, never get anything thrown high to him. His, like, his quarterback just didn't seem to understand how to throw it to him. There were a lot of offense limitations that explain a lot of what you don't see. So, worst case scenario, he's like a go post slant guy who can handle contested catches. Um, also, he is really hard to bring down in the screen game. Yeah, he's so hard to tackle. He's so good at using his extra arm to, like, just peel guys away or, like, knock guys down. Yeah, and I think he would have gone really high in this draft if he hadn't had the neck injury. Because in 2017, he had 12 games, 39 catches, 646 yards. He averaged over 16 yards per catch, 7 touchdowns. Those are good numbers. Uh, if someone backs that up without an impressive season, then th- you don't question productivity anymore. But he only played seven games. He had 26 catches, 569 yards. He averaged almost 22 yards per catch, which is dumb. And you figure... Them's if, their Madden numbers. Yes, exactly. And you figure if he had played 12 games, you'd be looking at probably somewhere around 45 catches... Over 800 yards and probably edging on double-digit touchdowns. What uh, what happened to his neck? Do you know offhand without looking? It's spinal. <laughs> his back is broken. Uh, no, he had, to ha- he had to have surgery. <laughs> sorry. He did have to have surgery, though. Yes, he did have to have surgery. Yeah, sorry, I shouldn't make light of that, but it was too easy. Oh, um, sorry, I set you up. So, yeah, he has a, he has a very specific skill set. Um, and... I dare a team with Tyler Lockett on one side and DK Metcalf on the other side to not play two high safeties. 
if you go single high safety, you're basically going, I'm gonna get uh I'm gonna get Russell Wilson to drop a dime on me twenty-five yards downfield. Like it's gonna happen. Like Nathan said, DK Metcalf is almost impossible to cover for a long time. If you can keep up with him in foot speed, you are probably three to six inches shorter than he is and have nowhere near the contested catchability. It's funny this this goes to the uh the proof of, you know, renewing Russell Wilson at a <clears throat> at a record level, throwing the ball more, but I also think, man, this is really going to help open up our run game. Yeah, I mean, it's he's, it's what you he's want. He's a for great play action receiver because either he'll get open deep on play action because he can get open with his hands or his feet. Nathan, did you see the same thing? I saw some really good footwork to get off the line, yes. but if somebody tried to put a hand on him, he'd also just slap him away. Uh huh. He's like I said, he uses his off hands or his extra, his hands really well. Yeah, you can't press him. But it, and the thing is, the, the footwork at the line of scrimmage though is the thing that made me think this guy can run NFL routes. He's not gonna. It's not gonna be as big a deal as people made it out to be. Like I think, he, I think I don't know where that 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 storyline came up, and then I don't know, it just kind of grew. I think he'll be limited, but people are acting like he's gonna be Frankenstein running out around out there, and that's just not the case. No, <laughs> yeah. And Russell Wilson with Tyler Lockett and uh, DK Metcalf and his deep ball skills, it's going to be, it's going to be stupid. It's going to be stupid, guys. I don't know any way to put it. it you're going to love, uh, Seahawks fans are going to love this. And in two picks, we're going to talk about something that makes it even more interesting, in so, my opinion. third round, 88th overall, the, the Seahawks went with Cody Barton from Utah. I have a pretty strong opinion on this that's probably different than you guys. So I'm going to start, Eric, start us off. What do you think? Uh, I'll be quick. Ballhawk, uh, he reads plays really well. He can diagnose runs. As well as pass plays, he's good all around. But uh, there's some people that say maybe we shouldn't have taken him in the third round. All right, I don't really know anything about Kevin. What, what did you think of when you watched Cody Barton? Uh, I think if we knew Bember Kervin was going to be there, we probably wouldn't have taken him uh, this early. But I think he makes a lot of sense for what we're doing. He can play all three linebacker positions. Uh, he's quick and he's solid in coverage. Um, he's not super fast, but he he immediately becomes our probably fourth best linebacker. Um, here's my thing about Cody Barton, okay, is that he is going to be an incredibly important special teams player from the first day. That's a fact. I'm going to guess that he's going to be our, our gunner. Like, he's going to be a very, very, very good special teams player. Same with Marquise Blair. Player. And I think that is 99% of the reason why we pick Cody Barton. Because when I watch him on tape, um, he's athletically gifted. He's very aggressive. But he does not have the um, – he just – he he often takes really bad – He's got a little Kevin Pierre-Lewis in him. He over-pursues. He does things that make that make me really frustrated. And I I can't imagine that if, if he was starting next year, we would – I would be worried. I think Ben Burkirvin has a better chance if – to be the next man up if, you know, Kendrick's – obviously we have great round-line linebackers. But Kendrick's right – Wagner, if one of those guys go down, I think Ben Ben Burkerman's the next guy up because he's a much more polished product than Cody Barton, who I see as someone who could be much better than Ben Burkerman, but needs to work on his processing and is going to need practice to do that. And if his processing can, st- can step up to his aggressiveness and physical tools, I think that, that that he could be really good. But right now, where he's at, I think temporary expectations. Um, because he's, he struggles with processing at the college level, and it's not going to get easier in the pros. I will say, watching but, tape of him from 2017 to 2018, and even early season tape versus like the Pac-12 title game tape, I did think he showed improvement. I saw him, uh, especially on his run fills, 
He picked better lanes. Yeah, he picked bad lanes at the beginning of the year. At the beginning sure. of the year, he consistently picked poor lanes. I agree. Um, the, the thing is, his at, coverage at, skills at, is only man. He looks weird in zone. At 80th, he seems a little lost. At 80th it. overall, a guy that has is going to be an A A A plus 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 special teamer and a guy who has the potential to be trained into a, a good linebacker. I think is a great pick at 88. It's like but, Shaquem Griffin in the fifth round last year. Yeah, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be a really good special teams guy at least. Yeah, and so I think the the floor for the floor for Cody Barton is gr- contributor. You know, contributor to the team, a guy who's going to be on our team for five years and then go to Philadelphia like Chris Marangos did. Okay, oh, and <laughs> and for the record, uh, our special teams coverage units—I don't know if you if people have forgotten in the last four months—they sucked. Yeah, it w- they really struggled down the stretch. It's been really bad for a couple years now. We've lacked that, and, and looking at a lot of the picks we've gotten in the last two years, we've addressed that in a big way. Cody's going to come in and he's going to like. Like I'm saying, I'm telling you, he's gonna instantly be an impact player on special teams. So good, he's so he's very good on special teams. Uh, I mean, Pete Carroll said the versatility to play the, all the linebacker spots is important to us, and we know he's an incredibly gifted special teamer as well. That's a Pete Carroll quote. So um, there you go. Uh, fourth round, Seahawks takes a guy who played lately in the slot before he played outside. Uh, Gary Jennings Jr. Russell Wilson coached his youth basketball team. Eric, how did that warm your heart? Uh, yeah, the it was like. Played on a basketball team with Russell Wilson's sister, coached by Russell Wilson and his dad. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty cool. I, I, I can't help but saying like this is looks like probably our new slot guy. As the the rumors hit pretty heavy that we may be Doug Baldwin less for forever possibly. Uh, he picks part zones really well, which sounds a lot like Doug Baldwin. Slot guy sounds like Doug Baldwin, uh, who could play everywhere. Sadly, not Doug Baldwin. Uh, I do really like Gary Gary Jennings uh, Jr., which is a really hard name to say. I I like the promise that this guy has. It was a pretty impressive pick, and as far as wide receivers go, to graph two in the first four rounds, I like the picks. Um, yeah, Gary Jennings, I think is a he's gonna come in. He's already a good route runner. He's very efficient. He scored, I think, like twelve touchdowns on fifty one receptions. Thirteen on fifty four. Yeah, there you go. So I was I was close. Beautiful. Um, Seventeen yard average. He's too. a good route runner. And he's a good route runner, and he's he's instantly ready to step into the slot and run run good, clean, solid routes. He will he will challenge for a starting spot at that position on the first day. Um, and I think he the, another thing that's cool is like when the slot guy can go deep and go deep down the seam, and Gary Jennings can do that too. So I'm really I'm excited to see how he can be versatile and and like really work at the next level. Um, yeah, he's he got picked in the right spot. Fourth round, I think, is great value for this guy, and I, I'm excited to see what he's capable of. Kevin, uh, Gary Jennings Jr. is a guy who I love throughout this draft process. Um, I was watching tape of uh, Will Greer, and uh, when I was going through quarterback evaluations at the beginning, and Jennings popped off the tape as a guy who just gets open, and just getting open is a really good skill to have. I. Uh, Eric brought it up right at the beginning. He's really good at settling in in zone. When the quarterback has to move off of his spot, he drifts really well. He can do that thing that we all love when Doug does it, where he kind of gets just far enough behind the linebacker where like the safety thinks the linebacker should still have him. And he has that really good hole in the zone. He's also 
got pretty decent size. He's 6'1", about 215 pounds, 32-inch arms. He's hard to tackle. When you watch him against even some like high-level competition, like Texas had a good defense last year, he would come across the middle. He'd make he'd use his body to shield. He'd make a nice catch over the middle, and then the defensive back would have to ride him down, and he'd pick up like another couple of yards being dragged down for the tackle. He has a seems to have a really good idea of where the sideline is. His field awareness is strong. It's funny because his three cone and short shuttle weren't like stupendously better, especially his three cone was not that much better than uh, DK Metcalf, but you don't hear any of the same concerns about his route running, which is a little funny to me. Uh, Jennings is a good route runner. He was really productive in college. The other thing is people will look at his senior year tape and think about him as a slot guy. He played inside and outside very well. He has that versatility like Tyler Lockett, but because he has a little bit more size, he's a little more of a prototypical outside receiver. So where DK Metcalf is going to be always on the outside, we can shift Tyler Lockett and Gary Jennings across the formation, and either one can end up in either spot and be very effective from there. Like, he's a good matchup problem to make. All right. And then, I like him a lot. So then we got... Um, yeah, I okay. Next, Our only original pick. This is our original pick. This is the guy we had at the beginning of the draft. This one twenty fourth. This is the Seahawks OG, and he's an offensive guard. Phil Haynes, uh, Wake Forest. They, okay, best thing about Wake Forest, their offensive line was nicknamed the Beef Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't care about anything else. But he's six foot four, three hundred twenty two pounds. He's the road grading style of big blocker that um, our offensive line our our offense seems to love so much um a mike solari guard if there ever were one yeah Yeah. i'm excited to yeah beef boys me up baby let's go he's a big dude he's got a plus work ethic that's uh i found that in multiple scouting reports and in one piece of film i watched somebody said that uh i don't want to be super high on him but this is like my low-key favorite pick i think this could be a pick that gives our line that quarter turn Uh, i see him having a chance to start if i wrote this down exactly if Ayupati dies, which uh, you know, high make, probability, it's it's a it's a fun joke, but basically, you know, Mike Ayupati He's not is already dead. That's I think that's yeah. the ghost of Mike Ayupati. <laughs> it's a weekend of Bernie situation. For uh, sure. Mike Ayupati usually dies at least four games a season. <laughs> his his leg may fall off, but here's the thing: this gives us depth. Um, I think this guy can step in earlier in the season than later. Uh, I'm excited for this pick, and he's definitely better at run blocking than pass blocking. But again, like you said, that's a Solari guy. Um, Phil Haynes, anything yep. else? Anything right. else? Beef Boys, here right. we go. Oh, you got nothing? I got something. I was, I was waiting. Uh, I, I, was I, don't, I don't have anything else. He's big, and he can move people, and he's he, he's a Beef Boy. Do you like the pick, Kevin? Well, I Kevin, do does, like the pick. This does, is a guy do you need named... to say anything other than Beef Boys? Uh, <laughs> Kevin I mean, has no... need you have no, to? No. No. no argument, right? Beef Boys. <laughs> uh, if you want to have a lot of fun, plug in his tape against uh, Boston College, because he's, there's multiple situations where he's asked to trap block Zach Allen, uh, Zach Allen is roughly as strong as a bull, and uh, Haynes will come around the outside of the center on the block, drag down the line, and just lock out Zach Allen, which, if you watch any Zach Allen tape, that doesn't happen. Zach Allen's very strong. Zach Allen bull rushes everyone. You cannot bull rush Phil Haynes. He's able to lock his hips out, and the dude's just, like, country strong. 
the big struggle that he has and the reason why he's considered a weaker pass blocker is that he doesn't seem to understand how to hand off and deal with stunts from exterior rushers. So if he's handing a guy off between him and the center with like a three tech or something, he can deal with that. Or like if somebody tries to do a spin move, he uses his hands really well. But if the end switches to the end side, I saw three or four times where he ended up on his knees. His shoulders got out over his toes. And I'll talk about that with another guy, but that's playing with a bad center of balance. And that's something you can be coached out of. He doesn't do it any other time, except like if you get an X up stunt with a defensive end, it's like he doesn't know how to do the change of direction necessary. He's a little bit of a plotter and it exposes all of his weaknesses. So that's the one thing I need to see us coach out of him. Um, I would just like to remind you one more time. Beef Boys. Uh, Ugo, beef boys, Ugo, beef boys, Ugo, uh, Ugo Amadi is a defensive back from Oregon. He's a little thought of as a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. He's a slot corner. He's a safety. Uh, for us, I believe he will spend most of his time playing nickel corner, uh, take over that Justin Coleman role, and also be an A++++ special teamer. Um, one thing I, I noticed about him immediately, his coverage skills are polished. Like, he's ready to go. I'm, I'm excited to see him play in, in the slot. Eric, how about you? Are you excited? Yeah, I have a most likely our nickel corner. Pretty excited by the way he reads zones. Um, my note, I wonder if Pete has bigger plans for this guy, meaning Richard Sherman was not Richard Sherman his first year. Calm down. I'm not saying Ugo Amadi is the next Richard Sherman, but I wonder if this is a guy that Pete is going to use Pete's magic fingers on and make him... Uh, our number one corner at some point. Call me crazy. At me, Kevin. He's a little small, I think, for the uh, the old Pete Carroll. No, but he is perfect. quite polished, like you said, and he he can kind of go in and around anywhere. He was really productive in college, too. Did you know he was voted the permanent team captain as well? Yeah, that's so neat. That's because uh, everyone, uh, apparently other players, love his leadership, which yeah. is pretty cool. Yeah, he was a guy who, he has good ball skills. Um, he plays the man really well, like you were saying. Like, he bodies people, and part of what allows him to do that, he's only 5'9", so everyone's like, oh, he's small. He's 5'9", 200 pounds. He's not small, he's just short. He has almost 32-inch arms, which is kind of ridiculous. He has as much length as uh, Shaquille Griffin, but he's like three inches shorter. Yeah. Well, Sherman is 5'10", 6'1". How tall is Sherman? Sherman is 6'3". Yeah, never mind, cancel that. Yeah, Sherman's tall. Um, this is more like... He's farther away now, so I don't see him as tall. Is it uh, Maxwell that was a little shorter, or the one that turned into a safety with Philly? I can't think of his name. Uh, the guy we got from Oregon. The drafted out of Oregon. I can't think of what Not Marigos? Uh, Thurmond. Walter Thurmond. Oh, Walter Thurmond, yeah. Uh, his build is a little more similar to like Walter Thurmond. But, yeah, I think... The team is saying right now that he's going to initially get reps at free safety. I don't know if free safety is where he necessarily fits long term, just because, like you said, Nathan, his slot coverage skills are just really good. And you'd watch him against bigger tight ends, and he would just get inside of them and kind of bully them around. And then you'd watch him against smaller slot receivers, and he could mirror them on the change of direction skills. So I think this is just a really good pick that makes a lot of sense. He's going to find a place to play. And at the very least, he's a really good special teams guy. Yeah, again, uh, including return skills. Um, all right, the next, the Seahawks take the nation leading tackler, Washington's own, Ben Burkirvin. Um, I don't think there's much we need to say because most Seahawks fans probably watched several of his games already. But just to reiterate, I do think he's in, ready immediately to back up 
the, the, the linebacker positions in our defense. And that's what he's going to be there for at first, you know, because Bobby's still alive and KJ's not dead yet. And another elite special teams guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, because there's, we got so many of these guys, I'm thinking that he might not have to do that. I don't know. We'll see what happens. I have a weird feeling, like, because there's only so many guys we can put on the field with special teams. We did take so many the last two years. And I'm just not sure if, you know, because where does that leave easy, you know, or like Nico Thorpe? Like, I, there's. Dude, might be a cap casualty. No, there's no way. You can't do that to me. <laughs> Don't do that to me. E- easy, buddy. Easy. Okay. Could become a coach. Uh, Special not, teams coach, easy. Kevin, you easy. said uh, he needs to be like inspirational person of the universe. Like I would, I want Nico <laughs> Thorpe to just follow me around and hang out with me, like, I was, just because of that nickname, Thorpedo. Seahawks nest easy. intern, Nico easy. Thorpe. Easy. <laughs> take if the Patreon gets to second. if the Patreon gets to two million dollars, uh, we'll just give that money to Nico Thorpe, and he can be, he can be your intern. <laughs> He'll be in the podcast. He'd, he'd have an inside track on some interviews from the Nico Thorpe's nest. <laughs> Better than Doug Maybe Baldwin. Maybe he could Doug Baldwin. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Uh, joke of the podcast. Uh, ben Bakerman finds the ball quickly. Uh, he's got movement on all sides, uh, uh, side to side, which is really cool. He may get slowed by pick plays. Kevin, you said that uh, Barton might be our, our fourth best safety on the roster, but what about Bergkirvin? Uh Ben Bergkirvin is right there with him. This, the guys are really similar. If you read their scouting reports, just off like you know from mock drafts, you're like. Wait, are they saying the same thing about the same player? And they're really similar. The only big difference is. Bember Kervin makes the right read, like, every time. If you watch tape of Washington's defense, like, plug in the Ohio State bowl loss, the Rose Bowl loss, and he's against a really fast team. He's just always there. I actually don't understand the big knock on him about him not having athleticism, because if you look at his athletic measurables, they're in line with everybody else. Yeah. Uh, four, five, six, forty, twenty-one on the bench, thirty-four and a half inch vertical, one twenty-one broad, six, eight, five, three cone, four oh nine shuttle. Uh, these are what you want out of a coverage linebacker. So he's six foot tall instead of six foot one. And like, he's, he, I don't get it. He's not like he's not thin. He's not. He's just a little leaner. Like he's. Some people say it's small, but every note that says, but that's like today's. He compared to Malofa Tutupu, yeah. which is an interesting comp. Lofu was really good, but he was also Lofu was smaller. Yeah, I think he could be a plus coverage guy. He's really good against the run. Um, he is definitely more ready made. Right, Tra- Travis Homer. Um, he's a good pass catcher. He is a really good blocker for he a college wasn't player. Asked to catch passes ever though, which is weird. He's a really good blocker for a college player, and um, you know he's shifty. I don't. I don't think he has elite movement skills, which is why he went in the sixth round. Mike Davis uh, replacement. Um, but he should provide great depth and, and drive CJ Procise to the airport when he leaves. Uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric, true. Eric, anything to add there? No, man. Uh, pretty much what you said. He's a good open space guy. He has the ability to make a cut and never be seen again. Uh, he's. I'll say as far as a Mike Davis replacement, he's probably not going to grind it out that extra two or three yards, though. So I don't. Uh, he maybe he turns into that, but I don't see that now. I'm okay with that because those snaps need to go to Rashad Penny anyway. Yeah, this is like um. He he's good when he has a clear path. Like when you he when he when there's a clear path, he's gonna hit it and he's gonna hit it hard and he's gonna get upfield. But he's just an old Denver one cut and go back. Yeah, it, he'd be great in certain offenses, and in our offense, he's gonna be a third down back who blocks really good and maybe gets picks up a couple carries here and there. And you know what? Good for him. He's gonna be on our team for like five years. Who's that? And he Steelers. has some return skills too, I believe. Uh, Demarcus Christmas. Demarcus Christmas. Uh, yep, that guy's a 
defensive tackle can play on the rotation on first down. And you know what's crazy is getting a guy like Demarcus Christmas who seems so NFL ready in the sixth round. Like he just you know what that guy's gonna do on day one. It's weird to get a guy that you're sure of like that in the sixth round. But Demarcus is that kind of guy. Um the thing is the ceiling is not super high. Ooh, do you want my comp for a ceiling? Uh, ceiling is Shamar Steven? I don't know. A Tyba Rubin. Okay, huh. sure, yeah. Okay. A Tyba Rubin would be a, a great high <laughs> level outcome for him. Yeah. Yeah, um, if if everything breaks right, he's a type of Ruben. And uh, I could always use a type of Ruben on a rookie deal, especially in the sixth sixth round. Why not? Forget it. Why not? Yeah, that's fine. So, he's big. He has good, decent lateral movement. He can stop the run. Um, yeah, big dude with a motor. Uh, he did better less, run D than rushing the quarterback. He did less bench presses than DK Metcalf. So I'm not going to pump up his strength. <laughs> you know, like it's like okay. I have the uh, he also has shorter arms than DK Metcalf. When the line crashes in, he will be a reason for it. Should we, should we just make DK Metcalf a defensive end? Just put him, put him everywhere. Um, they can go both ways. So that was the last pick the Seahawks had, or so oh we wait, thought. Real quick. Can I talk about the thing that uh, annoys me most on tape about DeMarcus Christmas? Um, okay. He has DeMarcus a really Christmas long falls name on down way too much. Uh-huh. Really? Yeah, he does. He like He's the other guy I talked about it with. Oh, I guess uh, I've seen that. I talked about it with Phil Haynes uh, in uh, X-Up situations. DeMarcus Christmas only has a bull rush. He has a really good punch, and sometimes what he'll do is he'll kind of do his punch and go to bull rush, and if the guard is good, like I watched him against, uh, I think it was Chris Lindstrom, who just made him look stupid, um, because he would go to punch, and he kind of get going too far out over his feet, and then like Chris Lindstrom just like little brothered him, where he kind of took like a half step back and let him fall onto his knees, and then just turned and blocked the next guy. He's like, well, you're out of the play, done. And so someone needs to teach him to keep his center of balance a little better. But he has the movement skills where he should be able to. He just didn't. Yeah, this dude's just a pure nose. It's fine. It's good. Um, okay. And then the Seahawks took five foot ten. Wait, wait, wait. We traded next year's sixth rounder. Right. We we uh to the Jags. Which also we probably have a supplemental sixth rounder, yeah, so it doesn't I even know. matter. <laughs> um yeah, so it's going to be a bad six rounder. Like a, it's a, basically a seventh rounder. Uh, for John Ursua, the small man w- wide receiver out of Hawaii, who I spent more time watching than any of these other guys, because he's hands down so good. He's really uh, fun to watch. Uh, he's he's awesome. Like he's super super good. I was like very impressed with everything he's doing. He's small. Uh, he might he might not make the roster. Like there's a there's a real chance of that. Yeah, his uh, catch radius is tiny. But they He's did five it. nine with thirty inch arms. But the Seahawks decided, you know what? We don't want to lose out on a chance to get him as a UDFA, so we're willing to give something up to get him. And I think that that does say something. Um, you know, the thing is, he has pretty direct competition that got drafted three rounds ahead of him. That's uh, a that's where he will fit in, though. He he's. Competition at slot, and he's been known to be highly competitive everywhere he's been, which is, that's a Pete Carroll guy right there. Can we so, talk about another weird thing for him? The thing that I saw people comparing him to a lot is Cole Beasley, and I definitely agree with that, by the way. Um, yeah. Just like a like a shifty, like small slot guy who just always seems to be open, and you can't really explain why. Like, I can't explain why Cole Beasley's open all the time either. It doesn't make any sense to me, but there he is. He's open Nobody again. respects him. Um John Ursua could be that guy. He's 25 years old because he had an ACL injury and he spent two years on an LDS mission. So, like, he's going to come in and immediately be one of the old men in camp, which is kind of fun. Uh, 
Okay, the Seahawks have 10 wide receivers on their roster right now. Yeah, yeah there's going to be a lot of cuts. Can we talk about this for a second? Uh, yeah. Um, I know that I wanted to do like all the depth chart shenanigans next week, but I, this one I have about to talk about. This one, this one I have to talk about now. Wait, are we including okay. the UDFAs? Because there's like four more wide receivers from oh, that. Make, uh, 11, if we include. Uh, okay, here we go. Here's the guys. Okay, Doug. I'm, not, I'm actually not going to include him. We're going to pretend Doug's gone. Okay. Let's oh. not do that quite yet. No, let's do that. Um, for the sake of this ready. conversation, okay. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, Jaron Brown, David Moore, Amara Darbu, Malik Turner, Gary Jennings, Caleb Scott, Keenan Reynolds, and John Ursula, plus three more wide receivers we signed as UDFAs. Dude, only like five or six of those guys are going to make the team. Yeah, Jazz Ferguson, Terry Wright, and... There's one more. I don't remember, but we'll talk Mike about him later. Shelley. The, the UDFA, that. I want to wait. I like to talk about UDFAs once they're like all done. So I, I'm not, not going to go. Yeah, when you yet. said Amaro Darbo, there were like uh, four Delaney names in Hart there Johnson. where I was like, you could just scoop those guys out. It's Delaney Hart Johnson. Dude, I think like Jaron Brown is in trouble. That's that's one thing I'll say. Jaron Brown is making an amount of money that exists, which means he's in trouble because there are people making uh, Jaren uh, Brown table did, scraps. And we didn't we didn't use them last year. Jaron Brown didn't do anything last year. And I, like, touchdowns. I think there's a two. I think there's a chance David Moore's in trouble too, man. He only caught like five passes in the last five games. So, if we're being honest here, DK Metcalf, Gary Jennings, Tyler Lockett. And then one of John Ursua and Keenan Reynolds. Those guys guys are in. Yep, that's four. And then then everyone else is fighting for at most two spots. At one or two spots, depending on if they play special teams. Like Darbo, Darbo has to kill it because if he doesn't, he doesn't play special teams. He's gone. He's gone, gone. Right. Though, uh, if if, uh, Reynolds makes it, Reynolds does play special teams. Right. Which would give another guy a chance, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, it's it's going to be blood bloodbath in this this wide receiver room. Get ready. Yeah, I think Malik Turner, it's going to be hard for him. I think Caleb Scott's probably gone. We can yes. just say that. Because the other part of that is, you if you're just an outside guy, it's going to be really hard for you. Because Jaron Brown plays inside-outside. David Moore is oh, yeah. just an outside and guy. And you've got to beat Lockett and Metcalf. Like, those guys are like those guys are, are And Lockett's inside-outside. I think he's going to play mostly outside this year. Probably. Judging, judging by our draft of Jennings and Ursua. And then Though if, Jennings plays outside. Although... Yeah, but I just don't see him as that guy at the end in the NFL very often. I think it's more like he plays mostly slot with a little outside, whereas Lockett this year might play a little slot with mostly outside. I think it'll depend on what we think the better matchup for Lockett is. Lockett's our number two receiver is our number one receiver. Absolutely. Metcalf is probably our number two receiver. And it's gonna be all about getting Lockett the best matchup because Lockett on any one person is bad for the one person. And I'm at the point with, with Doug, where whatever we get out of him is great, but if he needs to go, I mean that he's got to take care of his body. You can't. I don't like these stories I read where an NFL guy's all broken down, he can't get out of bed and stuff. So if he needs to go to take care of himself, I'm like, hey, so okay. That's my yeah. other point: is we drafted a guy like Jennings who can play inside and outside. We have Lockett who can play inside and outside very well. We have Metcalf who plays outside. So if Doug stays, Doug could very easily be like a. Full in case of emergency third down receiver, and then like pure slot. Yeah, that's the that's the one thing. And I think play D- like the Julian Edelman D- role. DK Metcalf, the one thing I think he's not ready for in year one, and that he's going to need time to develop. Because I know I said like I think he's a, an NFL ready wide receiver more than other people do. He's not going to be like a get six yards and move the chains. That no, 
not that's not his game. So it'd be nice to have Doug for those situations where it's third and six and we need to move the change and we can take DK off the field and just, you know, use the other guys. Yep. So, uh, by the way, that's where John Arsua excels. If you ever watch that kid in the red zone or in like a first down situation, he has this like nasty little stab out step. He's really quick. Like he he ran a four five six forty, and I genuinely think he is fat. He plays faster than he ran. All right. Do you have any final draft thoughts before we head out out to the money zone? Do you want to pick a UDFA to introduce everyone? Uh, no, I don't. I don't. I want to do. I like to wait because there there's still more guys coming. Like I want rather do UDFA's next week. Okay. Well, I want to introduce one. Okay. You have a favorite. So there's one person that I think everyone needs to know about, and that's Derek Thomas, the corner out of Baylor. So Derek, oh yeah, I, I did post that on Twitter. His draft profile. So Derek Thomas is a converted wide receiver. Uh, has very very limited snaps. He's played on defense, but he has a solid understanding of zone. He's a willing tackler, and he has all the desirable traits of a press man corner. He does. He has all the things that Seattle wants from a cornerback. Uh, don't be surprised if he's a guy who catches on to like the last roster spot, or maybe becomes a training camp guy, and then a um, practice squad guy. And then next year, like all of a sudden, you're like, hey, who's this Derek Thomas guy who is getting some hype? Because his his tool set is really intriguing. Um, and then that's it. All right, cool. Yeah, I agree. It's like the total Pete Carroll project, and he seems far away, but you never know. Like Trey Flowers came along a lot faster than I thought, so there's no reason that this guy has excellent physical tools. Oh, I guess that's the other thing to talk about. If we take away a second thing from this draft. Uh, if we take away one thing, it's, oh, yeah, I said this in the group it's chat, we really wanted to get a lot of help for uh, Russell Wilson, and we attacked the wide receiver position. If we take away a second thing, it is, man, Pete Carroll really thinks that Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin are going to take a step forward this year. Yeah, he thinks they're fine, because the, he did not even try to address uh, outside corner. Makes me nervous, but I totally saw that, too. Yep, and I also want to talk about how Jacob Martin is going to be Chris Clemens, but we'll talk about that next week. Yeah, Jacob Martin, sweet. Okay, um, Seahawks Nest Patreons. You can head over to patreon.com slash Seahawks Nest. And for as little as $1.24 a month, you can join our group chat. You can uh, get our off-season podcasts. You our can... group chat's pretty sweet. Oh, yeah. So far, it's it's just me, <laughs> Kevin, and Augustine, and Brett. And sometimes you're going to get these Brett tickets that maybe you don't Eric. want. Eric, uh, Eric you're only like, kind of there. I feel like you're only, you're only there like You're there oh, in spirit. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm posting. I'm just not posting about... Agreeing with you all the time. Okay. Like Brett. <laughs> yeah, guys. Okay. Um, that was a terrible Brett that impression. That was a terrible Brett impression. You got to uh, run that up. I don't know about that impression, I guys. I don't know about that. Okay. There. That's better. All right. Forrest, Chuck Attila, Tom, Lucas, Carrie, Bob, Good Kieran, warning. Brett, Mike, David, Flocktimus, Prime, Keith, uh, Arthur, Frank, and Michelle. Thank you so much. Oh, and Nick also, of course. You guys uh, help us keep going. Help us get our equipment and our hosting and make this uh, closer to a zero-sum proposition for me. Uh, if you want to start the Seahawks Nest in any other way, uh, head over to iTunes, uh, give us five stars, uh, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a thumbs up, a like. Um, helps us going. Keep talking to me on Twitter. That Actually, the, the amount of Twitter engagement we've gotten lately has been very, very encouraging for me. And uh, I've, I've, I've actually had a lot of fun jamming with you guys on Twitter. 
right during the draft. And uh, I know that a lot of people ask me on Twitter, how do you feel, Nathan? We didn't take little Jordan Humphrey. And I said, give me little Jordan Humphrey or give me death. So uh, this is my last podcast. I'll... No, I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> He's just chosen kidding. death. I'm just kidding. Uh, that It did kind of suck because I, I do see, but... Um, obviously, Pete wants a different profile from his slot receiver than a um, like the Marquez Colston type. And you know what? I'm going to trust Pete that, that he knows what he wants in his offense better than I do. Um, but I do think that taking him in round seven uh, would have been more exciting to me personally than John Ursua. <laughs> They're both pretty exciting. But John Ursua has turned out to be pretty cool. It's I'm just a little jitterbug. Um, oh, Nathan in the I just hate chat was the, like, I hate that he's on the Saints, dude, because he's going to be good. There's still some little guy, just some, some little guy hanging out there to pick up. He's just a little guy we could have drafted. We could have drafted a little guy. Um, his, his Twitter all weekend was just like, I don't know. I'm going to go where I'm going to go. It's where God wants me to be. It's like, not got, here. And then he probably got to pick which team. I'm going to guess we put out feelers for him with how many UDFA guys we got. There's no way they didn't ask him, like, hey, you interested in being a Seattle Seahawks? I don't know. I have a feeling that he, like, Tap, tap, spots back a spot with the Saints as soon as he knew they were interested. Right. Because that is the best possible landing spot for him. Well, okay, and you're little Jordan Humphrey, okay? You 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 now get to go to the Saints, play with Drew Brees, be Marcus Colston. Just, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't get any better than that. Um, Since I actually kind of like the Saints, I'm okay with it. I don't hate the Saints, but I just hate that he's going to be And good. also, we always beat them. He was terrible at the combine, which drove him straight out of the draft. That's yeah, the reason did. he didn't get drafted. He had like the worst combine. But did you just turn on the tape and you're like, um, okay, this is better than these physical numbers? He uh, does a thing. Game. Like he has a skill set, dude. He he like he's really strong. He's he's elusive. He gets open. I don't care that he ran a four seven forty. Like he gets open. Okay, doesn't matter. Not on our team. Um, probably going to beat us in the playoffs, and then I'm going to like throw something. Uh, <laughs> we, we don't lose to the Saints in the playoffs. No, that's not. That's not yeah. Good. Plus, the referees don't like the Saints because all the whining. I, <laughs> I hope. Uh, <laughs> all right. We see. We always watch a movie for this podcast, or have a plan about a movie we want to talk about this oh, week. And if you are in uh, Seahawks Nest uh, group chat, Patreon, and group chat, you'll find out when we're watching yeah, a movie, we'll, and you can watch with us. Yeah, that that we posted. Tweet in the group us, chat. won't you? Uh, that we were watching, we watched a movie that I okay. So I saw this movie in theaters um, in 3D, and, and I'll say this: this movie was heavily marketed as 3D, and so it was interesting to see these scenes in 2D and be like, "Oh yeah, that looked really cool in 3D," and it still looks cool, but it's not like the same. Um, and that's Dread 3D, <laughs> but but uh, Dread. So. Um, yeah, the, wait, did the E get turned backwards and look like a 3 when they did the 3D version? That's where they... like DR3D. That would have given them 15,000 more Alex, audiences. Alex Garland of uh, of cult film fame, uh, you know, he did... 28 Days Later. 28, well, he did 28 Days Later, 28 Weeks Later, and then he did Ex Machina and Annihilation, who, which I think have, like, really launched him into a, like, cult nerd cult hero. Yeah, I really like all but one of those. Um, and so Alex Garland... He makes Dread 3D. Um, he writes it. He produces it. He gets Pete Travis to direct it. And then it kind of mildly flops. It does. It's not like a huge flop, but it, it breaks even at best. And um, now it's kind of... There's like hanging out. I, it's kind of forgotten. I love this movie. I love it so much. Uh, it's a tight like 89 minutes, which I you, everyone knows I vastly appreciate. Um, I think Carl Urban as Dread is so sweet. Like perfect, he does such it's a, a great casting. Such a such because you such never a see job. Carl Urban's face, and yeah. that's important for Dread. Yeah, and he's just the way he like his voice is like perfect. 
it's just exactly what I want it to look like. Uh, Anderson like. was really well cast to play off of that. Uh, yeah, Olivia. Olivia Th- Thurlby. Yeah, she's she's really good. Um, and then uh, Lena Headley as like the as, as Mama, Mama, the bad the bad guy. You know, if you Cersei Lannisters, you know she's good at being bad. So she's such know. an underrated actor. Oh, she's then, great in everything she's and then in. Julius from uh, Remember the Titans is the is the other bad guy who yeah, does, does a great job as well. So I I don't know. They did a really good job. You know, it's it's like there's a ton of people in this movie, but there's really only like four people in this movie, and that it's one of those kind of things where like everyone else is kind of a faceless guy who dies in thirty seconds, or like has to face act for like a minute, and then there's four people who are really in the movie, and they're you know Wood Harris, Carl Urban, Olivia Thurlby, and Lena Headley, and they all did a killer, killer, killer job. Um, oh, Domino Gleason's in the movie a lot, I guess too, as like a like a like tweaker, the, computer hacker guy. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> that you feel really bad for. Oh, and there's the then there's the also the I forgot. There's one more guy, the Peach Trees medic. Yeah, um, that guy who's kind of in it. Like he has a couple of scenes that he's important. Yeah, he's in more than one scene. And then there's the voice of the operator, Rachel Wood, the control operator one. Yeah. So anyway, now that we talked about the actors, uh, Eric, just your general impressions about the film. And Eric, you saw the movie before this. Nathan yeah. saw the movie before this. This was in the black hole of when I couldn't watch movies. And so this was my first watch of this movie. I, uh, and I will talk about that after you guys. I took the, I turned the chat on the phone and put the uh, the digital code that I have because I have it on Blu-ray, uh, Blu-ray and digital copy. Um, I love this movie. I'm upset that it was only well received enough to break even. It's got a lot of life afterwards. There's people, you know, there's petitions like you know, sign the dread position for a sequel, and Carl Urban said he'd love to do it. But so the, Alex the fund, yeah, Alex the funding, said he'd be super into it. Uh, Olivia Thurlby said she'd be she'd be into it if you know they they wrote a script. Um, there's supposedly a, a Mega City One show they're trying to develop for maybe HBO or Hulu. I don't know. That's been rumored for like two years. So uh, so what they what happened with that, Eric? I actually have information about that. Oh. they moved the production in house, and it's a first time production studio, so it's like taking forever. Thanks, guys. That'd be really neat. So, I, I would be down they to watch have, that right They now. have full creative control, so that's the good part. But the and the and it's the same people who made this movie. But the bad part is that you know that since their first time uh, making a, making a show, it's just yeah. it's, it's tough. I'll say this: uh, the movie, like Nathan said, it's tight. It's uh, action packed. You're not gonna be bored in this movie. Any sort of narration is, uh, or I'm sorry, exposition is done through a very uh, conversational narrative. Uh, this movie is. I don't want to say it's perfect. Judge Dredd, expert trainer. Yes. <laughs> it's it's the right amount of funny for a, me and a guy who kind of gets sick of the Marvel movies and all the hokiness. Um, this movie has the right amount of humor. It's dark humor. A lot, of, a lot of blood and violence in this movie. I love this film. But Kevin, this was your first time watching it. I could I could talk about this movie all day. Tell, tell me things. I could also talk about this movie yeah. all day. Um it immediately received four to five stars and jumped into my top 10 movies of its year. So I really appreciated that by giving the Anderson character as, first of all, every time Judge Dredd was training Anderson, it was like, that's a bookmark moment. Uh, Nathan made a joke at the beginning, or, or Nathan made what I thought was a joke when they introduced it, where he goes, Judge Dredd is a really good trainer. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be ironic. Nope. No, no, 100% serious. No, he took his job super seriously, too. Like He'd be like, you're in training. Make the call. 
<laughs> so like they're in the middle of being shot at and he's like what would you do in the situation and she has to like analyze it and he sits there and waits for her to do it it's amazing Rookie, you've got your helmet i find that it interferes with my psychic abilities huh i think taking a bullet to the head would interfere with them more yes <laughs> that's just great it's <laughs> yeah, Dread's so dry on it. It for it opened as kind of a hot open. Like there's a little bit of uh, exposition that you don't really that doesn't bother you because it's just basically you know in a city where you have to fight fight to survive kind of thing. You know, you get like a paragraph of that, and then it jumps immediately into a high speed chase, and so you're fine. And we proceed to see four people get killed in order to apprehend a couple people for doing <laughs> drugs, which is kind of perfect. It very much sets the tone. The entire vibe of this movie is what nineteen ninety, what nineteen eighty eight thought dystopia two thousand five would be. Yeah, this is uh, pulled from the two thousand eighty comics over in Britain, and their comics are a lot more different than ours. Their uh, their superhero comics are very deep in characterization and symbolism. Was something we don't have over here. And one thing I like about the original two thousand eighty comics is that the Dread doesn't have these character arcs where he makes huge changes in his personality that it's tiny 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 little growth right and in this movie he has a tiny little bit of growth you know what i mean where he has a choice at the end of to pass or fail anderson and he decides to pass her but there's no other growth for him in the movie he's basically the same dread right yeah i'd say the only there's one scene in the movie that i call bullshit on and it's it's kind of sad to say but you know when the the two teenage kids pull a gun on him yep I guarantee he would have killed him. No, in the comics, he'd be like, "Drop your guns, and I'll give you only fifteen years yes. in an ISO cube." Because <laughs> <laughs> Judge Dredd is a fascist. That's uh, so they, their plan for the, the second plan. movie is to kind of explore like Judge Dredd as being a fascist kind of thing, which is perfect. And I imagine they'll probably bring in some uh, more known comic villains. Mama shows up for a very like three issue arc, I think, and. Uh, but like Judge Death or like the Dark Judges. Yeah, like Carbon has said he really wants to do the Dark Judges and Judge Death. Um, that's that's pretty out there, but I'll take it. I'll take more Carl Urban, Carl Urban Judge Dread. So for fans of past Seahawks Nest movie club recommendations like uh, The Raid, um, I'm trying to think of other movies. If you like John Wick movies, if you it's enjoy... Like, it, the thing that's cool is it's, it's just like John Wick or The Raid. It's one day... Or like a, d- a couple days. It's a tight timeline with a concise story. It's not a. There's not a bunch of stuff going on. It's not like trying to go crazy. It's just there's a day in the, here's a day in the life of of, uh, of Judge Dredd. You know he's training Anderson. They go to peach trees. Shit goes down. Like it's it's you know there's not they're not trying to reinvent the wheel over here. And the the world feels super lived in. Mm-hmm. And so there's a little bit of uh, exposition as he has to explain stuff to Anderson, but. And she explains things to him. Which exactly. Is nice. And as a narrative device, by doing that, it makes it so those moments feel very genuine, like good character interaction, rather than uh, them, like like when they explain slow-mo. Yeah, the drug. So you get a scene where you see what happens, and then he has to explain to her, like, this is the new thing that has been hitting the street. And that's a perfectly logical conversation that you'd have in, like, a police procedural. There's so so many, it's a narrative format we're used to. And there's so many good little conversations. Like, uh, <laughs> when she says, like, how could she have taken over this whole block? And uh, the medic's like, we don't really get many judges up here in Peachtree. And Judge Dredd is like, well, you got one now. Yes. 
or <laughs> yeah uh the the part at the end when he talks about the range yeah <laughs> and i don't want to give away the ending of the movie because this movie's underwatched i will say this but it's 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 a very judge dread solution to the problem carl urban is doing uh his version of judge dread he's british i'm sure he read some 2000 ad growing up if you want to know without seeing this movie what he may sound like think of like a uh less uh he said he He's almost like, he's like Rorschach in Watchmen, but he says more words. Carl Urban said it was really hard for him to do that voice all the time. And he said he tried to make it sound like a saw cutting through bone. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he... Carl Urban, trained, Cooper voice? Carl Urban trained super hard for this movie. He learned, like, how to do actual, like, you know, military training and military stuff. So he tried to use real, you know, tactics. And that and showed through. did all his own uh, motorcycle stunts, too. Oh, yeah. oh wow. pretty pretty... Pretty cool because there's some crazy motorcycle stuff. I was going to say yes. on a motorcycle that is uh, a f- movie fabricated motorcycle. <laughs> yeah, that looks like uh, something put out by Tonka. Yes. I made me want to drive a motorcycle though. Yeah. It, basically everything that the piece of crap 90s Stallone Judge Dredd did wrong. Like Ugh. everywhere that steered in the wrong direction. This just leaned into the thing it was doing and did it really well. Yeah, and the slum, all the slow mo stuff, that stuff is so cool, and it looked so good in 3D. It looked really um, good in 2D, so I can only imagine in 3D. Yeah, it's it's really cool, and they took like really cool orchestral score that they knew would sound good, slowed down a thousand times, and used it in the in those scenes, which is a really neat thing to do. Yeah, um, this movie had a lot of feel. Like it's an action movie with good depth, with a solid story, and all of the action elements are great. It's over-the-top violence. Smart without trying to be smart. It's just naturally not dumb. How's that? Yeah. No, it's it's just well-crafted. I would sign up immediately, find the dotted line, I shall sign it for Dread 2. Um, there was some weird stuff at the end of this movie. Uh, so the director and Alex Garland had a big disagreement about how the movie should be edited. So they banned the... Um, the guy's name is Pete Travis. They banned him from the editing room at the end. And uh, it was a really unorthodox collaboration. Um, some people thought Alex Garland might take a direct directorial debut and, and even, um, Carl Urban says that you should consider Dread Garland's directorial debut, not Ex Machina. Like he was that involved. Oh, so, wow. um, very interesting, uh, kind of like end of production notes, uh, from, from that movie. Um, so yeah, I don't, don't expect Pete Travis on Dread too, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Expected to be a full on Garland joint. Um, well, even the movies of his I don't like, they're well shot. So they made a the they did viral marketing. They made a website called Dread Report that was to make fun of Dread Report. <laughs> I don't know. Um Yeah, but I think Dread was a failure in marketing. Like there's no reason people shouldn't have seen this movie. This movie if if there's so many movies that are like moderate sci-fi successes that this one should easily have got there. Do you think part of it was that the Stallone one peed in the pool so hard? I mean, yes, I think there's that some had to of it, be part of it. Some of it is people don't give a shit about Judge Dredd. That is yeah. definitely part of it. But I feel like there was so much good footage in that movie that would have made great previews. That I, you like you could have done something cool where you had like the slow mo fall scene, and then like splice it in with like action shots from the movie. It's there's funny though. Cool there's things. this movie looked like a British action movie. It looked like an overseas action movie done. In America. But and I mean, a lot of that doesn't appeal to people here for some reason. That's unfortunate because that appeals to me in all the ways. Yeah. The thing is, is like, 
it's like the opposite of RoboCop, right? Like people can't care about RoboCop a lot. So the RoboCop remake made $242 million. And I think Eric's right. Just people just don't give a shit. And also about like, I'll say this about dread and this is not a knock. I think this is a positive. How many explosions were there in dread? A lot. No, uh, three. Think. Yeah, you got to think about it. Like what? Oh, yeah. What was an explosion? The, the HE oh, round. Are we talking to, about? Yeah, I was. I was counting on it. Yeah, I was going to say well, when, the HE round to the head, the HE round to blow out the wall. Yes. And then uh, maybe well, and then they used the Gatling guns. That wasn't an explosion. Yeah, that's the thing though. They weren't. If you think of like because you don't want to fire in a containment fast, unit. Fast and Furious. There's a lot of explosions there's oh, if they're like gas style explosion yeah, yeah if yeah. there was a if a movie with the rockets going i'm thinking big american movies big american movies have big explosions so maybe it should be more surprising that john wick is as successful as it is that's that's why i think because the thing i love about john wick is it feels more like a hong kong action movie. also it's exactly kevin also i think it's fresh it's got keanu who everyone makes fun of but everyone secretly loves uh i publicly love him he's a record. very handsome man also um it's it's kind of, I don't know if it's making fun, but it's having a lot of fun, which Americans love. Yeah, but I feel like, I don't know, this movie is about the most fun you can have with fascism, if, that, if that's yes. a term I'm allowed. Like, this uh, this is a very enjoyable movie. Like Nathan said, the pitch is, it's a tight 90. It's got a couple of cool long shots. It's got a lot of very good action sequences, and it is clever within itself. I yeah. think that's what you were trying to say earlier, Eric. This also, movie's not trying to be anything more than what it is. Mm-hmm. It's just trying to be the cleverest version of itself. There's a few moments where, like, they don't wink at the camera. They just let you draw the conclusion right before they show you. And then you just feel really good when you're like, oh, man, I hope this happens. And then it happens and you're like, all right, I feel you. We're good. I agree. I have nothing else to add. We're set. Way to go. All right. For Kevin, for Eric, I'm Nathan. We will see you next week. Go Hawks. Good times, bro. No, I ain't got nothing but a bag of green to do.